0: This episode of Lyrics for Lunch is supported by Before the Chorus, hosted by award winning interviewer and radio host Sophia Lopercaro. This podcast dives into the stories and experiences that shape the artists that we love and ultimately the music that we hear. Previous guests have included Glass Animals, Japanese Breakfast, Clipping, and Julian Baker. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast.
1: At Arnold lane, lane, there is. is in my...
2: <laughs> okay, three, two, one, go. see, nobody me, while I
1: Welcome back to Lyrics for Lunch. This is the show where we're just two crazy diamonds shining on. Nailed it. <laughs> I'm Lindsay Tucker.
0: And I'm Aviv Rubinstein. That was I'm, good. Oh, perfect. And I'm <laughs> Aviv Rubinstein. And this is a show where we do deep dives into famous songs, crazy stories about famous songs and famous song history. Stuff you should know, but you don't know, and that's okay. Or you maybe you do know, you know, maybe don't, don't know the whole story, but stuff like we feel like is important and interesting for you to know.
1: We hope it's interesting.
0: That's on the post all that is on the poster for this
1: show. <laughs> get yourself a sticker how,
0: how are you doing this week Lindsay?
1: i'm good you know i've had a little bit of back issues i've been Me wearing too. this like back shoulder brace thing for as long as i can stand it
0: yeah fix
1: I'm... my hunchback
0: <laughs> good job i have a i have lower back issues oh do they, do they have hunchbacks for lower backs
1: i'm sure it's like
0: an upper butt
1: Yeah, an upper butt brace.
0: An upper butt brace.
1: (laughs) You have a foam roller, correct?
0: I I don't know where it went.
1: Well, you got to find that. Bring that bad boy out of retirement. I have
0: to find that. Got to foam roll it out.
1: Yeah. (laughs) What are we talking about today?
0: Today we're we're talking about Pink Floyd and specifically their song, Shine On You Crazy Diamond. So, Lindsay. Yes. (laughs) Lindsay requested this.
1: I suggested it. you yes.
0: suggested it. It's a suggestion when when it's one of the hosts that does it <laughs> yes. um, and I didn't really know much about this song. My dad's a big pink Floyd fan.
1: he is he
0: is could oh, be a big Yakov episode saucy
1: little minx
0: um, so what do you know about this song?
1: I like the song
0: <laughs> great. <laughs>
1: And I know that it was written kind of as a tribute to Sid Sid Barrett. Okay, go on. So he was a member of... I think he's a founding member of Pink Floyd. And he ended up leaving the band because of um, some mental health complications. And he was heavily involved in psychedelic drug
0: use. Yeah, great. We'll see you next week, everyone.
1: <laughs> <laughs> really?
0: I mean... No, i mean no but you but listeners before we started recording when <laughs> he was like i don't know anything you're gonna ask me and you're gonna you're gonna be you're gonna laugh at how little i know about it. you know about the song this is this is it this is the song yes or is it
1: or is it i don't know um and like shine on you crazy diamond right
0: mm-hmm that, S-Y-D. S-Y-D. Right, yes. Suck my dick. Well, suck your dick. S My D. Um. So, let's take a listen to the song.
1: I don't really know the lyrics.
0: Oh, we'll do the we'll do lyrics. I always do
1: lyrics. Cheerio.
0: I do. We'll get there though. Lyrics come in on page like twelve.
1: Ooh, okay. Say so that.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: That was the radio version of Shine On You, Crazy Diamond. We'll talk about the differences between the radio version and the album version in a little bit. But first, Hmm. our story begins in
1: 1946. Ooh.
0: Roger Keith Barrett was born January 6, 1946 in Cambridge. He was the fourth of five children (laughs) and his dad was a doctor.
1: What kind of doctor?
0: He was a pathologist. Oh. Yeah. See,
1: bet you, <laughs> I know <bet>, stuff. <laughs> but
0: you didn't know I was going to be there with that with that I answer. Didn't. <laughs> Most of these facts are uh, from the Rough Guide to Pink Floyd by Toby Manning. This is the fir- like, of the first act of this. Most of the facts come from there. Um, Barrett played piano, ukulele, banjo, and guitar all by the age of fourteen, and it was around this time that people started calling him Sid.
1: Why do you ask?
0: Wh- who, who? Which one of us is asking?
2: <laughs> it's me.
0: So one story of how he got the nickname Sid is that at the age of 14, he was named after a local Cambridge jazz bassist, Sid the Beat Barrett, but it's Sid with an I, S-I-D Barrett. Um, and as this burgeoning musician is, is around Cambridge, he like... His last name's Barrett. People start calling him Sid after Sid. And Sid, the Pink Floyd artist, changed his name to Sid with a Y so to differentiate himself from Sid the Beat Barrett, the double bassist. Make sense? Perfect.
1: He wasn't Sid the Beat.
0: No, he wasn't Sid the Beat, but there was a guy named Sid the Beat. And Sid the not Beat was like, oh, I should just call call myself Sid after this guy. Okay, great. Another account is that when he was 13, his schoolmates nicknamed him Sid after he showed up to a field day at Abington Scout wearing a flat cap instead of a scout beret because Sid was like a working class name. So like the beret was like upper class, the flat cap was like a like a roughneck kind of thing, and Sid was a working class name. I don't know. I think either even, either of these reasons are equally as likely which is or whatever. not or, or not likely at all yeah <laughs> but we do know that he used both names interchangeably for several years and his sister rosemary said uh he was never sit at home he wouldn't have allowed it so he wouldn't allow
1: his family he to call wouldn't him allow sit.
0: his family to call him sit
1: do you know what my family called me
0: poop mouth
1: nope
0: well i'm out of guesses then
1: gink it was gink
0: gink <laughs> why
1: because my dad said that one day he was like hey Lindsay," da, da, da. and i was like don't call me that my name isn't Lindsay anymore and then he was like oh really well, what's your name and i said it's gink and then he said well if your name is gink what's casey's name and that's my little sister. And I said, Ginkatoria. And he was like, well, okay then.
0: Does he still call you Gink and her Ginkatoria?
1: Well, he stopped calling her Ginkatoria because um, he started calling her Houndy, which was short for Houndy Begler because she would always be like hounding for bagels.
0: <laughs> we should get Russ as a guest <laughs> on this show. man, man of many <laughs> nicknames. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so Gink and Houndy.
0: Great. All right. Let's continue on, Gink. (laughs) Less than a month before his 16th birthday, his father died of cancer. Mm. And um, Barrett kept a a diary every day, basically. Sid. Yes, Sid Barrett. Roger. Roger Sid Barrett. But on this day, uh, he left the entry in his diary blank.
1: The day that his dad died.
0: The the day that his dad died. And um, because he was the fourth of five kids, uh, most of his brothers and sisters had left home. And so his mom decided to rent out rooms in their house to lodgers. This is going to come back in a little bit.
1: Okay. No, is this to make money after his dad died or was this while yes. his dad was alive?
0: No, no. After his dad died. And so eager to help her son recover from his grief, Sid's mom encouraged the band in which Sid played to perform in the living room.
1: To, okay, yep. Mm-hmm.
0: And so the, that band was called Jeff Mott and the Mottos.
1: Jeff Mott and the Mottos.
0: Yep. So Jeff Mott and the Mottos were a mainstay of the Barrett family front room. And Roger Waters and Sid Barrett were childhood friends. Roger Waters is another Pink Floyd f- founder.
1: And another and Roger
0: and another roger though roger waters uh, was a couple years older than sid and at one point in elementary school sid was taught by roger waters mom so roger waters often visited these gigs in the living room and at one point he also uh organized a gig that was for the council of nuclear disarmament benefit oh but all good things must come to an end and jeff mott joined a, b- a band called the Boston Crabs, and the mottos sadly broke up.
1: The mottos! Great. I guess their motto wasn't Goonies Never Say Die.
0: Gotta love the color commentary from Gink over here.
1: <laughs> well, what else am I supposed to do? I'm I here. Don't
0: know. <laughs> In September of 1962, Sid Barrett, at the age of, I have to stress, 16, had started going to the he had taken a place at the art in the art department of Cambridge College of Arts and Technology, and there he met this dude, David Gilmore.
1: David Gilmore. Not a Gilmore girl.
0: Not a Gilmore girl. Spelled differently with a U.
1: Oh. oh. Gilmore. Like a yeah, paramour. Yes.
0: So so But not the our, band. So our three our three main players right now Roger Waters, Sid Barrett, David Gilmore. Remember these names.
1: How could I forget?
0: At this point, Sid started writing songs And he and David Gilmour Occasionally played acoustic gigs together And one of the songs he wrote at this time Was called Effervescing Elephant And it was later recorded and released On Sid's solo album So we have a recording of it Yeah So this is Effervescing Elephant
1: Is it Effervescing or Effervescent?
0: Effervescing
1: Crickets? What's happening? Just
0: you wait (laughs) i <laughs>
3: An effervescing elephant with tiny eyes and great big trunk Want whispered whisper to the tiny ear, the ear of one inferior That by next June he'd die, oh yeah, because the tiger would roam The little one said, oh my goodness, I must stay at home And every time I hear a growl, I'll know the tiger's on the prowl And I'll be really safe, you know, the elephant, she told me so Everyone was nervy, oh yeah, and the message was spread To zebra, mongoose and the dirt Hippopotamus who Wollered in the mud and chewed His spicy hippoplankton food and Intended to ignore the world His spicy hippoplankton? Yeah What's, so what's no
0: not accurate about that? <laughs> so it's safe to say that the the He was a Beatles night, fan
3: Yeah oh, see, oh, we're gonna get in, like in trouble for that said, me, You know, I wouldn't hurt Not one of you I much prefer something to chew And you're all too scoundrel oh, Yeah, he ain't the elephant
0: I actually don't know cuz this is 63 and so I think that this is like doing this like oom papa stuff bu- even before the Beatles did. But in his in 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 the biography that I was reading, it was like, "Ah, at this time he started to love the Beatles." So, <laughs> you know, here sorry everyone. He also loved the Stones. So, meanwhile, in 1963, Roger Waters and this dude Nick Mason meet while both studying architecture at London Polytechnic Institute. And they first played music together in a group called Sigma Six. They were a sextet. So it doesn't matter. The other four members don't really matter. Um, I'm sure they're very nice people, but like, we're. They we're don't matter. Not for the purposes of the story, no. And so uh, Waters started on guitar and later switched to bass. Sigma Six went through several names, including Megadeths, the Abdabs, the Screaming Abdabs. Leonard's Lodgers and the Spectrum Five after one of the members left. And then they finally finally settled on the name The T Set. The T Set?
1: The Tea Set. The tea How set. many pieces are in a T set?
0: I don't fucking know. I don't drink tea.
1: You just spill it.
0: I do spill the tea. <laughs> right now we're spilling on the T set. <laughs> so in 64, two of the T set's members left to form their own band. And so Roger Waters tapped his childhood friend, Sid Barrett, to join the T set and also to like move into their flat. So Waters, Nick Mason, and Sid Barrett are all living together in a flat in London as three-fifths of the T set. Um quote. Nick Mason said this about Sid Barrett. In a period When everyone was being cool in a very adolescent, self-conscious way, Sid was unfashionably outgoing. My enduring memory of our first encounter is the fact that he bothered to come up and introduce himself to me.
1: This sounds like a very insecure person.
0: Sid or Nick Mason? Nick. Yeah, but they're like 18. I mean, who isn't insecure at at 18 or 19? And so one of the other members of the T-Set, his name was Bob Close, and he was getting a lot of pressure and advice from his parents and college tutors to leave, to leave the band okay. and, and, and like have more of a sensible career. And so he quit in mid-1965 and Barrett took over lead guitar. And in, also in 65, Richard Wright, who is the T-set and later Pink Floyd's keyboardist, had a friend with a studio. And because of that, the earliest recordings of the band that would eventually become Pink Floyd happened. Mm. So Roger Waters, Nick Mason, Sid Barrett, Richard Wright. And four
1: founding members of Pink Floyd.
0: Are the four founding members of Pink Floyd. But they record, as the T set, they record a bunch of songs, including um, three that... Sid himself wrote a couple covers and three that Sid wrote, and one of the ones that Sid wrote is called "Double O Bow." Double O Bow. So here's Double O Bow.
1: So this says Double O Bow, Pink Floyd, the early years.
0: Yes. Yeah, so this was later, like repackaged after Pink Floyd became very famous. They did like a
1: right. Release of their. Sounds very Stones heavy. Right.
0: If if the first song we listen to is very Beatlesy, this is very Stonesy. And he's singing about the blues guitarist Bo Diddley.
1: I had a cat named Bo.
0: Um. Did he also have a Cadillac?
1: Yes. He stole my Barbie Cadillac.
0: Well. Shit. (laughs) Engine taken from a 707
2: Sounds like a sure way to, get to heaven.
0: The next the next section I just wrote. Um this is from Rolling Stone in the summer of 1965. As Barrett took his first steps into the music world with an embryonic Pink Floyd, then known as the T-set, he also began using psychedelic drugs with friends in in the Cambridge intellectual coterie. The introspection introduced by LSD and other consciousness-expanding substances led many in his circle to convert as a sect of Sikhism known as Sant Mat. Sant Mat literally means the path of saints. Um, And that dates back to 13th century India. The religion follows a strict moral code and principles of abstinence. A lot of people, this is um, David Gale, who was a close friend of Barrett's um, says a lot of people of Sid's acquaintance were drawn quite hysterically with massive, massive enthusiasm to this sect one by one the bo- young bohemians of cambridge made pilgrimages to india and returned profoundly changed they came home cut their hair off threw away their hippie clothes got suits got a job became vegetarian, stopped drinking smoking and taking drugs married women of the same persuasion as them only had sex for procre- procreative purposes and were advised to be ordinary and to keep their heads down okay mm-hmm so barrett was anything but ordinary and he very nearly joined them. So he, when he was 19, traveled to a London hotel to become admitted by the sect's leader, whose name was Guru Maharaja Sharan Singh Ji. But he was known as the master by his devotees. So this is from Andrew Ralson, uh, a devout follower of the sect and friend of Barrett. He said, He asked the master, and the master said, I will not take an emotional request. At that time, it was very unusual for the master to turn anybody down, but he did turn Sid down. He told him that his request to be initiated was emotional and not based on genuine spiritual research.
1: Ooh, so he could tell.
0: I guess he could tell. (laughs) But by all accounts, the rejection crushed Sid. Oh. And given his future mental health struggles, a simple drug-free life of structure and meditation m- may have been the best thing for him. Oh. But regardless of whether such a conversation would have saved the man's mind, it's more than likely it would have put a premature end to Sid Barrett, the rock star. Sure. And so around this time, T-Set releases a song called walk with me sydney and i can't find a ton of information about this song but i want you to listen to it because i'm drawing some pretty obvious conclusions here i think
1: i'll be the judge of that
0: this is supposedly on the same record as double oboe i love
2: to love to love to baby I love to love to love to love to love to walk with me Sydney It's a dark night Come on, come on Hold me tight Well, I love to love to love to But I got flat feet Fallen arches Baggy knees and a broken frame Mm -hmm. Meningitis paratonin oh, DT's and a washed out brain what's
0: a DT? Uh, Delirium tremens. it's like when people are going through alcohol withdrawal oh. so the song the narrator of the song is singing to someone named Sydney and Sydney responds saying i can't because i have a washed up brain and dts i'm coming off of drugs and my brain doesn't work right right i don't even though even though his name isn't sydney his name's sid like i don't know man yeah so this song is credited to roger waters but it seems like he's talking about his buddy sid and it wouldn't be the last time he wrote a song about his friend sid
1: it wouldn't would it
0: It, oh it wouldn't (laughs) so this is from polar music prize but i don't know i don't know if i wrote this or i think i did write this because i was researching late last night but cambridge we have a problem i'm an idiot uh in late 1960 yeah in late 1965 sid discovered that there was another group calling themselves the T set
1: oh huge problem
0: huge problem to make matters worse he discovered this at a gig where both t-sets had been booked
1: how is that possible who's the th- booking the booker think, that's like this would be hilarious
0: i know i think that only one t-set had been booked and both of them showed up how i don't know but he renamed the band at the spur of the moment and he called he called them the pink floyd sound the name pink floyd floyd is derived from two blues musicians whose uh records barrett had in his collection pink anderson and floyd council
1: ah i didn't know that
0: yeah see see teaching teaching people things. i didn't
1: know I, I knew nothing
0: you didn't know nothing <laughs> um so by 1966 pink floyd had carved out their own style of improvised rock and roll which drew a lot from jazz and Nick Mason, who is the drummer of Pink Floyd, said, It always felt to me that most of the ideas at this time were emanating from Sid. Mm. Barrett's reading informed a lot of his songwriting. That that include included Grimm's Fairy Tales, Tolkien's The Hobbit, and The Lord of the Rings, and the I Ching.
1: What's the I Ching?
0: So the I Ching is... Uh, usually translated as the book of changes and it's a a chinese
1: changes
0: it's a chinese divination text (laughs) it's it's like a chinese classic
1: turn and face the fray
0: that's not those aren't the words they're not no
1: turn and face the fray
0: i don't think so. i
1: want to be a better man
0: (laughs) so they became the house band for a club called ufo spelled ufo and this club was in london it Stop was i instr-
1: trying to make verbo happen
0: uh, listen it th- uh, <laughs> specifically says house band for ufo pronounced ufo <laughs> and it was a club in london instrumental for fostering psychedelic music at this time and uh during this period barrett wrote most of the songs for pink floyd's first album including uh, uh also other songs that would later appear on his solo albums. By the end of 66, Pink Floyd had gained reliable management. Uh, These dudes, Andrew King and Peter Jenner. King and Jenner wanted to prepare some demo recordings for a possible record deal. So at the end of October of 66, they booked a session at a recording studio. And King said of the demos, this was the first time I realized that they were going to write all their own material. Sid just Mm -hmm. turned into a songwriter. It seemed like overnight.
1: Overnight?
0: That's what he says. It seemed like overnight.
1: But his friends were saying he was doing that the whole time. Yes. So they just tricked the label?
0: So this isn't the label. This is their manager. I think that that uh, Andrew King didn't quite realize the, the genius of Sid mm, at, mm. because he was seeing him as Sid the guitarist. Right? Okay. So one of these demos is called stoned alone and we can listen to it because unlike many of our other episodes all of this stuff is like supremely well documented and so we have recordings of basically basically everything so this is stoned alone
1: stoned alone
0: this is sid barrett's demo 1967 demo
1: never get stoned alone
0: So now we're out of Beatles, we're out of Stones, we're into like.
1: Nirvana.
0: Black Sabbath. (laughs) Like, this sounds like Black Sabbath to me. Yeah. Which, like, rules. In March of 1967, The Pink Floyd released their first single, Arnold Lane. They were called The Pink Floyd at this point.
1: Drop the the. It's cleaner.
0: You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) I just cleared the lane for you for that. So in March of 1967, The Pink Floyd released their first single called Arnold Lane.
1: Lane? L-A-N-E? Oh, L-A-Y-N-E.
0: L-A-Y-N-E. Not like Penny Lane. Ar- at Arnold Ar- Lane, Lane there is a-
2: <laughs> Arnold Lane had a strange coffee collecting clothes moonshine washing lime they suit him high.
0: so like none of this sounds like what we consider to sound like Pink Floyd? No way. No. Like of all of, of all of the songs that we've listened to, none of them sound like Pink Floyd, but they're all by
2: the Pink Floyd slash the T side
0: So the story behind Arnold Lane. Quick, quick diversion. Sure. Apparently, this is a true story.
1: Arnold Lane. Yeah.
0: So this is from Rolling Stone. The track "Arnold Lane" is chiefly remembered as the world's introduction to Pink Floyd. It's also a note. It's also notable as the only ode to an underwear bandit to ever hit the pop charts. The lyrics were inspired by an unknown fetishist who bri- who briefly ran amuck in Cambridge, snatching women's undergarments from clothesline, including one from Roger Waters' backyard.
1: What? And he was called S- Arnold Lane.
0: I think that they made up the name. Oh. But this is a quote from from Roger Waters. My mother and Sid's mother had students as lodgers. And there was a girls' college up the road. So we were constantly... So there were constantly great lines of bras and knickers on our washing lines. And Arnold, or whoever he was, had, bit, had bits and pieces of our washing line. And they never caught him.
1: They never caught him?
0: He stopped doing it after things got too hot for him. Wow. So... Roger Waters relayed the unusual story to Sid Barrett, who was moved to immortalize the local eccentric in-song. Quote Barrett, I thought Arnold Lane was a nice name and fit well to the music I already had composed. And then I thought Arnold must have a hobby, and it went from there. Arnold's strange hobby of transvestitism proved too much for some, and the song was banned on the popular offshore radio station, Radio London. Ay, ay, ay barrett said at the time arnold lane just happens to dig dressing up in women's clothing a lot of people do so let's just face up to reality nice <laughs> good job sid <laughs> so they're next so at this point the other members of pink floyd are, are starting to worry about sid right he's doing a lot of drugs he's being very weird um, and he he wrote a he song <laughs> He basically
1: admitted to being Arnold <laughs> Lane
0: He basically admitted to being Arnold Lane And he uh, He wrote another song Called See Emily Play And that was a bigger hit Than Arnold Lane um, And it was It hit number six On the British charts We're gonna listen to it later oh. We're gonna listen to a little bit of See Emily Play later But we can do it now too
1: Okay <sighs>
2: tries
0: but misunderstands. Da, 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 da. So remember this She's little melody. Emily tries but misunderstands. But That's gonna come back tomorrow. later. Okay. It but this is C Emily play. That hit number six. So big hit.
1: And are these In, uh, even official videos? Did we have official no. videos back then? No.
0: So they they had videos as a part of like press kits, but there was really nowhere to play them. Got it. Um so through 1967 and early 1968. Barrett became increasingly erratic, partly as a consequence of his reported heavy drug use of specifically LSD, but there's also speculation that he suffered from schizophrenia. Okay. Once described as joyful and friendly and extroverted, he became increasingly depressed and withdrawn and experienced hallucinations, disorganized speech, memory lapses, intense mood swings, and periods of catatonia. What? Yeah. Yeah. Although the changes began gradually, he went missing for a long weekend, and according to several friends, including one of the members of Pink Floyd, came back a completely different person.
1: What? How? He got abducted by aliens.
0: Maybe. So one of the striking features of his change was the development of a blank, dead-eyed stare. Barrett didn't recognize his friends and often didn't know where he was. On a tour of Los Angeles, Barrett said gee it's sure nice to be in las vegas many reports described him on stage as strumming one chord through the entire concert or not playing at all and at a show in santa monica he slowly detuned his guitar
1: what i didn't realize that this happened so soon
0: well so it's been like four or five years since he joined the band but yes all Basically, all of Pink Floyd's biggest hits happen after Sid, but also potentially as a result of Sid. We'll talk about that. Okay. So Sid was interviewed on the Pat Boone show, which is a radio show, and he uh, replied with a blank and totally mute stare, according to oh my Mason.
2: God.
0: Sid wasn't into moving his lips that day. He exhibited uh, similar behavior during the band's first appearance on... American Bandstand hosted by Dick Clark. Surviving footage of this appearance shows Barrett miming parts completely. However, during a group interview afterward, Barrett gave terse answers. During this time, Barrett would often forget to bring his guitar to sessions, damage equipment, and was occasionally unable to hold his plectrum. His what? His plectrum. What's that? It's like the thing that you wear on your fingers. It's to like slide you, up and down, yeah to pl- yeah, to pluck the the guitar strings, it's like a it's like a pick that you wear,
1: oh, not the slidey thing,
0: not the slidey thing. let's just call the slide, plectrum before a performance in late sixty seven Sid reportedly crushed a tranquilizer called mandrax and a tube of brill cream into his hair, which melted into his face. Under the heat of the stage lighting, making him look like a guttered candle. Um Nick Mason disputes this Mandrax portion of the story, saying Sid would never waste good Mandrax.
1: <laughs> I was wondering like what it, would the point be? Like it would like seep into his pores I think just and to make be him weird.
0: Okay. So there were also rumors that the LSD was like part of his writing process, and worse, that... Rest of the band like forced it on him. This is from The Independent. According to Tim Willis, Barrett's biographer, there were stories of Barrett being locked in cupboards by hangers-on and dark rumors that he was being fed, without his knowledge, daily LSD doses by friends. Uh, David Gilmour would later say, Sid didn't need encouraging. If drugs were going, he'd just take them by the shovelful. Aww. Also in 1967, Sid wrote a song called Vegetable Man. As a sponge. Vegetable man. <laughs> vegetable man. I love
1: it. As a sp- I'm imagining like a body made out of carrots, a broccoli head.
0: Yep. Nailed it. We don't have to continue. That's fine. You got it. <laughs> um, but this was as a response to his manager, Peter. their manager, Peter Jenner, because um, Jenner requested a follow-up for See Emily Play, which was a big hit. And Vegetable Man is often interpreted as a self-portrait of Sid's own mental disintegration it also vents his contempt for the vapid nature of fame and his own role as a pop star delivered with a sarcastic sneer according to jenner this is all rolling stone according to jenner the song was written in his apartment moments before leaving for the recording session quote on vegetable man the descriptions of the person in there is him what he was wearing (laughs) what he was becoming (laughs) I was with him in the room while he was writing it. He was in the corner. He was in one corner and I was in the other. And then he read it out loud and it was a description of him and what was going on. Said. Oh, my
1: God. I want to hear it.
0: Well, good news, bad news situation. Oh, no. The track was recorded in the second week of October 1967 and then earmarked for the band's third single. And uh, the B-side of the single was a song called Scream Thy Last Scream. Oh, no. So promotional videos were recorded for both songs, but their release was canceled at the last minute for fear that they were too dark. Oh. Uncomfortable. So this was
1: a very dark vegetable.
0: Yes. Uncomfortable with the pointed lyrics and troubling imagery, the band also decided to leave both off of their second album called A Saucer Full of Secrets. Saucer. So, Jenner admits that the songs expose Barrett's fragile psyche. He says it's like psychological flashing. Though he admits that, he's quick to argue in favor of their artistic merit. Quote, I always thought that they should be put out, so I let my copies be heard, he said in 2005. I knew that Roger Waters would never let them out, or Dave Gilmore they somehow felt they were a bit indecent, like putting out nude pictures of a famous actress. But I thought that they were very good songs and great pieces of art. They're disturbing and not a lot of fun, but they're some of Sid's (laughs) finest work. Though God knows, I wouldn't wish anyone to go through what he's gone through to get those songs.
1: So what's the good news?
0: Both songs were... We haven't even gotten to the bad news yet. Both songs were slated for release on... uh, a collection of Sid's studio outtakes called Opel, but the rest of Pink Floyd blocked their inclusion. Oh shit. And to this date, they remain unavailable. (gasps) However, this rolling, that was all from Rolling Stone. However, this Rolling Stone article came out in 2016. And since then, the songs have become available.
1: Yeah. Shit. Yeah.
0: So here's Vegetable Man. Yellow
2: shoes, I get the blues So I walk the streets with my plastic feet blue velvet trousers makes me feel pink There's a kind of stick about blue velvet trousers In my position I look at jerk And my turquoise got is quite out
0: of sight So he's literally just describing what he's wearing <laughs> I love this song.
1: See. Must be me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So yeah, this is this is very much like a window into his psyche.
2: Yeah,
0: and how sad it is. He is okay. That song fucking rules. (laughs) It's really good. It's not gonna get less weird. Okay. Uh so this is from Biography. The group headed out for a UK tour around this time with Jimi Hendrix, and um Barrett caused some more tension by either refusing to exit the tour bus at gigs or walking off before the start of a show. And there was a disastrous appearance at a Christmas concert, and the band reached out to Sid's college friend and bandmate David Gilmore.
1: Hmm. Gilmore with a U.
0: So Gilmore with a U was fronting another struggling group called the called Joker's Wild and they reached out to David Gilmore to replace Sid Barrett.
2: Mm.
0: So this is from Rolling Stone. <laughs> when Pink Floyd gathered in January of 1968 for one of their first rehearsals as a quintet. Barrett shared a new composition that he called Have You Got It Yet? The song sounded straightforward, but the band became confused as they tried to join in and learn the number. The melody and structure seemed to shift on each run through, with Barrett gleefully singing the chorus of Have You Got It Yet? Have You Got It Yet? (laughs) at them. (laughs) Eventually, they realized that Barrett was changing the arrangement every time, deliberately making the song impossible to learn. <laughs> we Love didn't get that. it for quite a long time, says David Gilmore. <laughs> I remember the moment and the song well. It was really just a 12-bar blues, but the responses were always in the wrong places, according to Sid. Some parts of his brain were perfectly intact, his sense of humor being one of them. Ah. Uh, Roger Waters also appreciated the humor he said quote I actually thought it was something rather brilliant about it like some clever comedy but eventually I just said oh I've got it now and walked away (laughs) but this would be Sid Barrett's last practice session with Pink Floyd and the song was song was never recorded sad So the band entered 68 with intentions of continuing as a five-piece, and and they thought of maybe an arrangement where Barrett would remain on board as a behind-the-scenes songwriter, kind of like Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys, but they abandoned that idea altogether. Uh, And by March of 68, Barrett was no longer with the band that he co-founded and pushed to prominence. So after, this is Rolling Stone, after parting ways with Pink Floyd, Barrett recorded two albums, The Madcap Laughs, and barrett and he made several brief attempts to return to the concert stage his first solo performance was in 1970 and Mm. he was backed by pink floyd's by his replacement in pink floyd david gilmore interesting yeah um and this dude jerry shirley on drums both of them assisted in recording the solo album so like sid and david were like not on bad terms okay but the gig was marred by pa problems And it rendered Sid's vocals inaudible. Barrett performed just four songs before laying his guitar down on the floor and exiting the stage abruptly. But we do have a recording of this. Yay. Like I said, everything is like super well documented.
1: so this says complete show and it's 15 minutes
0: yeah he played four songs and then left so he played the song Terrapin Gigolo Aunt The Effervescing Elephant which we heard earlier and a song called Octopus and then he left
1: Oh no! You said the vocals were. You could Yeah, you couldn't hear up.
0: it. Yeah, so he's singing right now.
1: Interesting. If
0: you listen really closely, you can hear it.
1: Oh yeah, there.
0: Yeah. So pretty, pretty bad.
1: Pretty bad.
0: Pretty bad. And so. I'd leave too. He wouldn't perform in public again for almost two years. Until January of 72 and he was pulled from the audience while attending a concert um, by an American blues musician named Eddie Guitar Burns and he got pulled on stage for a 30 minute jam session with Burns and the backing group and the backing group was called the last minute put together boogie band Um, and it was pleasant enough that he joined them on stage the next day as like a special guest for three songs. Okay. So here is Sid with the last minute put together Boogie Band <laughs> in 1970 in January 1972. <laughs> So, the boogie band drummer, whose name was Twink Adler. Twink! Twink and Gink. <laughs> um, and the bassist, Jack Monk, called on Barrett to form a supergroup, and he agreed. And so they called themselves Stars. Not to be confused with the Canadian pop band Stars.
1: They're always picking names that are already a band.
0: Yeah, like the Megadeths. <laughs> um, but Stars never recorded and they only played 6 shows as far as anybody knows.
1: Okay. That was a flop.
0: Yeah, Stars was a flop. So let's hit the hyperdrive. After Barrett's departure, Pink Floyd released A Saucerful of Secrets in 68. Oma in 69, Adam Hart Mother in 70, Metal in 71, and Dark Side of the Moon in 73. Jackpot. Jackpot. Dark Side of the Moon is the sixth best-selling album of all time. It went 15 times platinum in both the US and the UK, 741 weeks on the charts. You heard that correctly. 741 weeks.
1: Oh, my God.
0: There's a rumor... That there is or was a vinyl factory somewhere in the world that all they did was make copies of Dark Side of the Moon.
1: Oh my god, I bet.
0: And on Dark Side of the Moon there's a song called Brain Damage. Brain Damage slash Eclipse. Let's take a quick listen to Brain Damage. Flips.
2: On the grass, the lunatic is on the grass, remembering games and daisy chains and laughs.
0: So you know the song, right?
2: The yeah, I'm just
1: not singing car. for your sake and the audience, so <laughs> they can just hear it.
0: <laughs> I appreciate it. So my father always told me that this song, Brain Damage, on Dark Side of the Moon, was about Sid Barrett. Okay. And I thought that he was mistaken, right? Because I thought he got this confused with Shine on You, Crazy Diamond. When um,
1: you thought that when you were researching? Well, I thought that was
0: when I was researching. Okay. But he was right.
1: Okay. Vindica- Tell me more.
0: Yaakov is vindicated once again. <laughs> So Roger Waters stated that the Insanity-themed lyrics are based on former Pink Floyd frontman Sid Barrett and his mental instability with the line, I'll see you on the dark side of the moon, indicating that he felt related to him in terms of these mental idiosyncrasies and mm-hmm. the line. And if, you're bla- and if the band you're in starts playing different tunes references Barrett's behavior near the end of his tenure where he would just like play random chords, you know, yeah. at, at shows. And because of, there are more than one occasion where Barrett would play a different song than the rest of the band in the middle of the concert.
1: So when he's saying and if the band you're in starts playing different tunes, he, I think he's talking to Sid. Like yes. Sid thought he was playing the right tune. Yes, exactly. 100%. This makes me want to cry.
0: So yeah, so the Perth, the you in yeah. this song is Sid. Five years after Sid leaves the band. Mm. Okay, now it's time for a quick digression. Okay, Gink, <laughs> what do you know about Dark Side of the Moon? This is a lyrics for lunch inside of a lyrics for lunch.
1: <laughs> so what do I know about Dark Side of the Moon?
0: I'm teeing you up. Just tell me the thing I want you to tell me.
1: That if you play it backwards and you can line it up with The Wizard of Oz.
0: It's not backwards, (laughs) it's forwards.
1: That that you can line it up with The Wizard of Oz and it lines up perfectly? Yes. Okay. I also went to the Laser Light Show when I was in college.
0: Great. Once again, Lindsay, big fan of drugs. (laughs) So this all started apparently in August of 1995. The Fort Wayne Journal Gazette published an article by Charles Savage suggesting that readers of the Fort Wayne Gazette watch The Wizard of Oz, the 1939 film, while listening to Dark Side of the Moon. And Savage said that he got this idea from an online Pink Floyd news group. News group news group like a like a like a zine or whatever according to Savage the result is astonishing it's as if the movie were one long art film music video of the album song lyrics and titles match the action and plot the music swells and falls with character movements expect to see enough firm coincidences to make you wonder whether the whole thing was planned.
1: All right, so this is usually referred to as Dark Side of Oz, correct?
0: Or Dark Side of the Rainbow, yeah.
1: Okay. Now, something about me, I was obsessed with the Wizard of Oz when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Like,
2: Whom's there's, among us?
1: There's photos. I mean, I would always get, like, Wizard of Oz stuff for Christmas. There's a photo of me just, like, next to a horde of Wizard of Oz dolls uh-huh. and, like, clutching a clown.
0: Okay, I, I hate that. Go on. I will
1: try and find this photo and put it on our Instagram because it's fucking hilarious. But And then as I grew older, I did become a Pink Floyd fan, and I have never seen Dark Side of Oz.
0: Okay, don't worry. Okay, don't worry. Okay. So this is from the Washington Post. In 1997, rumors began to circulate on wait, Pink wait, Whoa,
1: whoa, 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 whoa. Have you? Yes. Okay.
0: Do you, would you like me to tell the story? Yeah, tell. So I actually watched the dark side of the rainbow, dark side of Oz in sci- high school psychology class. Wow! My teacher, Mr. Gerhauser, Bill Gerhauser, with whom I played hundreds of games of words with friends at the beginning of the pandemic. Oh my god! He and I, he and the, and he showed the class the dark side of Oz, dark side of the rainbow, whatever you want to call it. For okay, so we're gonna get this is I'm I'm guaranteeing feedback on this it's not real it's not real everybody it's not real
1: it, you're saying this i'm
0: i'm saying it bill gerhauser says it okay. we're gonna talk about how not real it is for the next few okay. minutes so okay. if you want to live if you want to continue to live in your delusions skip ahead about five minutes in the show okay. so this is from the washington post in 1997 rumors began to circulate on pink floyd fan sites and in chat rooms that were and those were quick, quickly picked up by radio and other media that Roger Waters, the band's co-founder and chief writer, now that Sid Barrett has, had left, had secretly written Dark Side of the Moon as an alternate soundtrack to The Wizard of Oz. Waters had supposedly done so after MGM refused to give the band permission to project The Wizard of Oz during concert performances, threatening lawsuits if Pink Floyd ever even talked about the project.
1: What? What? Is that part true?
0: No, of course okay. not. <laughs> what the curious found were odd, eerie and surprisingly plentiful synchronicities that occur if you hit the play button on the CD of Dark Side of the Moon at the precise moment of the that the MGM lion finishes its third roar on the silenced videotape of The Wizard of Oz.
1: Okay. So you're saying it's not real it's not a, it wasn't planned, but you have seen it, so mm-hmm. is it really like cool
0: it is it is cool we're gonna talk <laughs> we're gonna talk about how cool it is or isn't in a minute.
1: Okay.
0: So this is from Far Out magazine. There are a number of moments that work effortlessly with one another, whether it's Dorothy starting to run after a line in the song Time Reads, "No one told you where to run," or when David Gilmore sings the line "Home, home again" as a part of the song Breathe, as the fortune teller is advising Dorothy to return to Kansas. The, they don't stop there either. As brain damage starts, the song that we just heard. As brain damage starts, the record meets the scarecrow, and he begins singing. If I only had a brain, dancing on the yellow brick road. As Roger Waters sings, "Go keep the loot, got to keep the loonies on the path." But the strangest parts are yet to come.
1: The fortune teller was in Kansas. He was just like saying know, that she had to go home because her auntie M was like dropping down on the bed.
0: Right. The great gig in the sky begins to whirl. Ah! Away. I don't know what you want from me.
1: Just admit that Rolling Stone is a shisty liar.
0: This is far out magazine. That's, <laughs> the, that's not what shisty means.
1: <laughs> anyway,
0: <laughs> the great gig in the sky begins to whirl away as the tornado hits Dorothy. What's more, as she opens up the door into the technicolor dream of the Munchkin land, the, f- the film's second act begins and the original LP's second side begins and money effortlessly soundtracks the event the final crescendo comes as the I don't like that song at all as the final heartbeats of dark side of the moon ring out Dorothy puts her ear to the tin man's chest okay whatever since then the story has spread like wildfire and you'd be hard pressed to find a pink floyd fan who hasn't at least given it a listen given it a once over (laughs) I haven't you haven't
1: not for not wanting to, you know. Um, it's all on YouTube. But, oh, it is. You can,
0: yeah, you can watch it on YouTube.
1: I always thought like I would get it would come around and I would get to go like oh like the movie.
0: Well, I'll tell you tell you about that too. <laughs> okay. So um, the dar- the engineer for the record, Dark Side of the Moon, engineer Alan Parsons of the Alan Parsons Project, has often been asked whether the album was deliberately aligned with the film, something he very much denied. Quote, there simply wasn't mechanics to do it. We had no means of playing videotapes in the room, like, at all. I don't think VHS had even come along by 1972, had it? That's his quote.
1: I'm, I was just thinking, like,
0: I, I think know. it? I think it had.
1: I wasn't alive, so I don't know, but... Um...
0: Needless to say, <laughs> that hasn't stopped plenty of theorists plenty of theories surfacing about the two documents similarities even pink floyd drummer nick mason was asked about the dark side of the moon and he said it's all it's absolute nonsense it has nothing to do with the wizard of oz at all it was all based on the sound of music
1: wait was he making a joke yes
0: he was making a joke
1: <laughs> okay though um, the
0: article goes in to be like was it based on this is this about nuts? <laughs> no it's not about that he's
1: joking <laughs> Um, okay
0: so here's alan parsons producer of this album talking about what what gobbledygook nonsense the theory is we'll talk about whether it's cool or not in a second i know that i know that that's on your mind
1: (laughs) actually what was on my mind was christopher Plummer when he was sexy singing all right
0: relax keep it in your pants kid (laughs) Have you ever
2: tried
3: attempted the the whole dark side of the moon, Wizard of Oz thing? (laughs) I did a talk in uh, Seattle with Bob Ezrin, who obviously has other uh, Pink Floyd connections. We talked about you know, just like you and I are talking now. We talked about Pink Floyd and making albums and stuff. And then the uh, moderator said we have time for one more one more question, and uh, the guy stood up and said. "Uh, so what do you think about um the this connection between the wizard of Oz and dark side of the moon and Bob Anderson said that cannot be the last question <laughs> 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 because it has absolutely no foundation oh, I know. it's it was a fabrication by someone who had much too much time on their hands. too much time on their hands. Like <laughs> yeah. the Paul is Dead fabrication yeah, yeah. of the Beatles. Of course, yeah. But it's fun. Which is true. It keeps, it's fun, it's, it's um, fun little I, pop it, culture. You know what? I love watching, uh, I love watching TV with a, with the wrong soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you know, re- music can be music or um, my uh, TV system here at home, uh, I can, I can be watching one channel and listening to the sound of another channel. And it, it's, things always happen. I mean, inevitably. Yeah. Uh, it's great to watch a really serious movie with a comedy soundtrack, you know, a laugh you know, track or, <laughs> and, yeah, and uh, right, you know, lighthearted music in a really sort of heavy horror film and stuff.
1: Okay, so when you had said that, like when Dark Side of the Moon ends, when Dorothy puts her ear up to the Tin Man's chest, yeah, you're
0: supposed to restart the album.
1: Oh, okay, great. That was my question.
0: So in 2003. 2003- Pink Floyd tribute band The Machine did a Dark Side of Oz tour and played Dark Side of the Moon with the Wizard of Oz projected on a screen behind them. That's kind of fun. Yeah. But Alan Parsons is like on to something with it with, where he says, you just put two things together and they're going to work. Right. So this is from Little White Lies. Psychology professor Pamela Heaton from Goldsmiths University believes that there are parallels among such theories which might explain why a Beatles fan hears Paul is dead when a song is played backwards. She explains, one of our psycho one of our psychology lecturers did an experiment where everyone listens to a record backwards and it made absolutely no sense. Then he put words on a screen that all the people in the states were claiming you could hear. The states being in the United States. This this person yeah, isn't in, in Europe. Um we read the words and listened and they all matched perfectly the reality is once the brain has a word it pushes to match the acoustic stimuli Mm. but why is it that pink floyd's music lends itself so well to movies besides star wars and the wizard of oz there's also a rumor that stanley kubrick's 2001 a space odyssey perfectly matches the band's 24 minute composition echoes The, the fact that Kubrick was at one time considering asking the band to write the film's soundtrack only adds an extra layer to the theory, which I mm-hmm. think is what gets confused with the Wizard of Oz, Roger Waters wanted to do the soundtrack rumor yeah. heaton says that the answer probably lies in the experimental nature of pink floyd's music if you listen to a beethoven piece it's very strictly structured it's obvious why it would struggle to sync with a film by comparison the dark side of the moon is psychedelic and experimental It has random samples of people talking neither the wizard of oz nor the pink floyd album have a tight cohesive structure and both have a dreamlike quality so it's easier for the brain to find coherence between the two
1: but didn't the Wizard of Oz come out in like the 30s?
0: 1939.
1: So there's no way that Roger Waters wanted to do the soundtrack. He
0: wanted to project the film behind. The, the rumor is that he wanted to project the film behind him, and MGM didn't let him. So he's and like, they were like, ha, like no. "Ha ha ha! I'll do a whole album." Which does that doesn't make sense. You put an ounce of pressure on that. That doesn't make any fucking sense. Okay, great. A different psychologist, Levitin, has a slightly different take. Beethoven's Fifth fits. I'm sorry, Beethoven's six fits Fantasia while a whole bunch of classical music fits with Bug, Bugs Bunny cartoons. He believes mm. that the human brain can successfully match up just about any piece of music with any film and that the dark side of the rainbow is the dark side of the rainbow theory is principally driven by fandom. It might just be that Pink Floyd fans, for whatever reason, are more inclined to look for these connections. In effect, And
1: there's a rainbow right on the cover.
0: Yes. Mm hmm. <laughs> in effect Levitin is saying that Floyd fans are simply looking for new ways to enhance a work that they've already been infatuated by the well d- the deeper meaning he could yeah uh, all <laughs> kinds of different ways to enhance some some with some work um the deeper meaning he concludes is that the brain is a giant pattern detector it seeks to find an order in order in chaos to match things up even if there's no apparent relationship as a part of a grand scale prediction system if this goes if this goes with this they must be related and maybe i can predict the behavior of x by observing the behavior of y yeah and this is literally like how film works like the kuleshov effect is the exact same thing um heaton adds, it's not just pink floyd because of how the human brain naturally looks for coherence i'm sure you could find dozens of other film and music combinations too so the YouTube channel, No Nerds Allowed, tried to prove or disprove scientifically the synchronicity behind Dark Side of the Rainbow. Ooh! The host watched six different movies along with Dark Side of the Moon to see if they synced up. There was like a point system involved that I can explain. It doesn't, it's not that important. Um, the movies were The Wizard of Oz, The Godfather, Paul Blart Mall Cop 2, no. <laughs> Avengers Endgame, <laughs> Shrek, and The Shining
1: okay perfect great sampling
0: okay so so the host specifically did a sample from across genres and across time periods Mm -hmm. weirdly the shining scored the highest and the shining has a bunch of conspiracy theories associated with it that are all nonsense also so like we can get into that later in on a different episode that will never air um
1: on our patreon
0: on our patreon um so the, exist. the ranking was the shining then the avengers then paul bart mall cop 2 then the wizard of oz then shrek then the godfather so wow the wizard of oz was not even in the top three of these six randomly selected movies
1: wow
0: and so this uh did
1: he show us any clips he's a youtuber he
0: shows a ton of clips now i can't it's it's i can't show clips here because all you'll hear is the song but the video is 34 minutes, and it's got some amazing synchronicity <laughs> points. Really, really good stuff.
1: But can you just email it to me so I can watch it sure. later? Sure.
0: It's fabulous. We'll put it on our Instagram. It is unbelievably fun. And, the, and Remind the...
1: me to actually put it on our Instagram oh. because I never do.
0: Okay. So this rumor is so pervasive that the Pennington Planetarium actually had to post something on their <laughs> website. So,
1: what? What's the Pennington Planetarium? It's just a
0: planetarium that does Pink Floyd laser light shows. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what they say. The long and short of it is uh, that humans tend to see the hits more than the misses in cases like this. It's called apophenia or confirmation bias. This means we tend to focus on and remember patterns within disorder, hits, and disregard any occurrence that doesn't fit the misses, and it's like this when people dream of a friend that they haven't seen in years and the next day they run into them at a coffee shop that may sound like a cosmic occurrence but people never consider all the times that they've dreamt about someone and then they didn't meet them the next day in a mm, coffee shop
1: you love this you love this theory
0: i do love this theory this is this <laughs> is what i texted you last night i'm like this is this is the greatest episode we've ever done <laughs>
1: This is the anti-Dean Raiden theory. Yes.
0: So why would got to keep the loonies on the path line be considered a hit while there's a line that follows the line that follows states the lunatic is in the hall that has nothing to do with what's going on in the scene. It's considered a miss, but it's disregarded because of the hit of the previous line works so well. And when does the paper boy pop into the scene?
1: When does the paper boy pop into the scene? He
0: fucking doesn't. <laughs> this is you ready for this? It's yeah, like I'm a ready. daily horoscope reading. You'll notice all the Ooh. things that hit with the reading, <laughs> but you disregard all the things that miss it. That's what happens w- w- when you sync up Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon with the Wizard of Oz. There might be a couple of coincidences followed by hundreds of things that don't work in the moment or context.
1: Yeah. I get that. Okay. But you said that paul's death was real
0: (laughs) i was not being serious or or (laughs) was i or were you so okay back to sid barrett
1: hold on i'm not done here okay
0: i'm sorry so it's cool so so this is also this is i don't mean to dash anybody's hopes or dreams this is cool and it will be cool with whatever record you pick and whatever movie you pick go forth do it all together This is a fun game that you can play with your own brain.
1: Get a projector, get some friends, get some records.
0: Okay, back to Sid Barrett.
1: Back to Sid.
0: Even though he was no longer a member, Barrett still had an impact on Pink Floyd and the band's ninth studio album, Wish You Were Here. That was recorded as a tribute to their co-founder. And Shine On You Crazy Diamond is an acrostic of Sid's name. Notice the title, Shine On You Crazy Diamond, S-Y-D.
1: An acrostic? Acrostic. That's like another acronym?
0: An acronym would be if S-Y-D stood for suck your dick.
1: An acrostic is when there's letters in between?
0: Acrostic is when you do... It's like the opposite of an acronym. So SID is an acronym for Shine You Diamond. But Shine You Diamond is an acrostic for SID. You okay? Okay.
1: Sid would be an acronym for Shine You Diamond, but mm-hmm. okay, I get it. Totally. My brain got it.
0: <laughs> Here we go.
1: <laughs> so, okay.
0: according to Song Facts, David Gilmore came up with the four notes that became the basis for the melody, and Roger Waters thought that they conveyed emotions that Sid must have been feeling and wrote the lyrics about him. So, now it's finally time to do a dramatic reading.
2: Yeah.
1: of
0: Shine On, You Crazy Diamond. And we'll get to the cruel joke that Lindsay played on me.
1: Remember when you were young? You shone like the sun.
0: Shine on, you crazy diamond.
1: Now there's a look in your eyes, like black holes in the sky.
0: Shine on, you crazy diamond.
1: You were caught on the crossfire of childhood and stardom, blown on the steel breeze.
0: Come on, you target for far away laughter. Come on, you stranger, you legend, you martyr, and shine.
1: You reached for the secret too soon. You cried for the moon.
0: Shine on, you crazy diamond.
1: Threatened by shadows at night and exposed in the light.
0: Shine on, you crazy diamond.
1: Well, you wore out your welcome with random precision. Rode on the steel breeze.
0: Come on, you raver, you seer of visions. Come on, you painter, you piper, you prisoner, and shine.
1: Nobody knows where you are, how near or far.
0: Shine on, you crazy diamond.
1: Pile on many more layers, and I'll be joining you there.
0: Shine on, you crazy diamond.
1: And we'll bask in the shadow of yesterday's triumph and sail on the steel breeze.
0: Come on, you boy, child, you winner, you loser. Come on, you miner for truth and delusion and shine okay so what we heard earlier in the show is the radio edit spoilers so the song is actually in nine parts split up into (laughs) two chunks on the record the beginning of the album is 13 minutes and 32 seconds and the ending of the album is 12 minutes and 28 seconds for a grand total of 26 minutes even <laughs> so when Lindsay when I said, "Hey Lindsay, I don't know what song to do." And you're like, "Do shine on you crazy diamond." I thought that you knew this and I thought that the gag was that we would just play a 26-minute song.
1: <laughs> well, aren't we going to?
0: Um, no. I mean, we can. So it's it's largely instrumental and the all basically all the words are included in the radio edit. Okay. Sorry. There are co- uh, there are a couple conflicting reasons why the song is split up. Roger Waters says that he always wanted to split up the song and blah blah blah, but Occam's razor of it all is that 26 minutes is too long for one side of an LP. <laughs> so they had to split it up.
2: I, I
1: who wants to flip it in the middle?
0: So they so it's not flipped in the middle. This is this is I think the genius of it is that they open the record with the first 13 minutes and then there's a bunch of other songs and then they close the record with the last 12 minutes of it.
1: It's the sandwich bread.
0: It's the sandwich bread.
1: I still hate flipping the record.
0: Sure. I um, Tom Petty used to do this thing where even on the CDs, he would like do this thing where he'd be like, now's the time where you'd flip the record over if you're listening to this on vinyl. So like Ew. my CD of Full Moon Fever has that.
1: I was never a huge Petty fan.
0: Well, this is our last episode. <laughs> so at the very, 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 very end... Of "Shine on You Crazy Diamond," a subtle melodic refrain from "See Emily Play," you can hear on mm-hmm. the keyboard. So we'll listen to the very the last like ten seconds of "Shine on You Crazy Diamond," part nine, and then we'll take another listen to "See Emily Play." So. Remember that melody? Doo do, 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 do. because yeah that is the melodic line of See Emily play.
2: Emily tries mm-hmm.
0: but misunderstands Okay, cool. So so what have they said about Sid
1: and this being their tribute to
0: him? Oh, good question. So We'll answer that in a second, but clearly, you know, "See Only Play" is a, is a Sid song. They're they're talking about Sid in the in the lyrics. the th- the The thing is an acrostic for Sid. But before we get to that, from the Independent, in June of 1975, while Pink Floyd were recording the album "Wish You Were Here" at Abbey Road Studios. A portly, shaven-haired man arrived and stood quietly at the back of the studio watching. He appeared as Pink Floyd performed the song Shine On You, Crazy Diamond. And it, the song contains the words, remember when you were young, you're, uh, you're, you are shone like the sun. Now there's a look in your eye like black holes in the sky. Right? Which is clearly a reference to Clearly. At first, they didn't recognize the man whose head and eyebrows were shaved and who was apparently trying to clean his teeth by holding a brush still and jumping up and down but this was sid barrett no way the subject of the song he was the most famous acid casualty of his generation and the writer of much of the original material of the group for which he had been ejected because of his drug-induced eccentricities when roger waters saw his old friend he broke down rick wright the keyboardist Later, told an interviewer, I saw this guy sitting at the back of the studio. I didn't recognize him. And I said, Who's that guy behind you? That's Sid. And I just cracked up. I couldn't believe it. He'd shaven all of his hair off. I mean, his eyebrows, everything. He was jumping up and down, brushing his teeth. It was awful. Roger was in tears. I think I was too. We were both in tears. It was very shocking. Seven years of no contact to then walk in while we're actually doing that particular track i don't know coincidence karma fate who knows but it was very very powerful cover artist storm thorgerson storm thorgerson reflected on barrett's presence two or three people cried he sat around talking for a bit but he wasn't really there
1: he wasn't really there mentally right
0: when someone tried to break the ice by asking sid how he had put on so much weight, he maniacally replied, "I've got a very large fridge in the kitchen, and i've e- I've been eating a lot of pork chops
1: <laughs>
0: now, according to rock pasta, it was David Gilmore who invited Barrett to the studio, okay, so for many, this is rock pasta for many years, we have liked to believe that Sid appeared there mysteriously as if on an invisible call, but the truth is somewhat more." Prosaic. In those days, David married his first wife Ginger and told Sid to stop by the studio for a drink. It is true that everyone was surprised by his appearance and they didn't recognize him at first. But the truth is that he did not appear by magic. He had simply been invited by his great friend David gilmore
1: And did he appear right at that moment, or is that the moment they noticed,
0: noticed him? Yeah, I don't know. Th- there's also a, a bit of conflicting reports as to whether they were recording the song or mixing the song um, when he appeared and so barrett went to the little wedding reception that they had at the canteen of the studio and left without saying goodbye
1: hmm, he irished
0: he irished according to song facts he wanted to rejoin the group but they learned in 67 and 68 that having an insane member was not good for a band so they they rejected his request to rejoin the band
1: is it, are we still as insane like this okay. is this is
0: from this is from song facts i'm not saying that okay uh a couple of these song facts are kind of mean-spirited this is this is from crazy diamond which is sid barrett and the dawn of pink floyd the book um he mentioned that he was ready to help with recording but while listening to the mix of shine on showed no signs of understanding its relevance to him Mm. roger waters later sang a different tune he later said shine on is not really about sid he's just a symbol for all the extremes of Absence, some people have to indulge in because it's the only way they can cope with how fucking sad it is, modern life to completely withdraw. And I found that terribly sad. But like, you've written songs for close to 10 years about your friend. Why now are you like, nah, it's not actually about him?
1: Yeah. And me having never really paid that close attention to the lyrics besides the chorus, I used to have as just like my instagram like my profile shine on you crazy diamonds no thank you i thought it was just like eccentric personalities artists like
0: (laughs) sad sad sad
2: (laughs) so sad
1: rock
0: pasta called shine on you crazy diamond one of the most perfect songs ever and it's listed as number the number four best pink floyd song by Rolling stone behind time comfortably numb and wish you were here which is also about sid barrett
1: oh my god wish
0: you were here the whole record is the the person the you in that is sid
1: so we need like roger waters and sid barrett the love story
0: yeah Okay, well, we're not going to get that. We're going to get the opposite of that. Ready?
1: Oh, okay.
0: So in July of 78, amid a financial crisis caused by negligent investments, Roger Waters presented two ideas for Pink Floyd's next album. One was a 90-minute demo with the working title Bricks in the Wall. And the other became Roger Waters' first solo album called The Pros and Cons of Hitchhiking.
1: So they both became a thing.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. But one of them is The Wall, which is like the 10th best-selling album of all time. And one right. of them is a some fucking record I've never heard of. <laughs> so Mason and Gilmore were initially very cautious. They chose to go with The Wall. Um, Bob Ezrin co-produced and wrote a 40-page script for the new album. And Ezrin based the story on a central figure called Pink, um, inspired by... The Pink
1: Kink. That's what my dad would call me.
0: Great. Inspired by Waters's childhood experiences, the most notable of which was the death of his father in World War II, and the first metaphorical—that was the first metaphorical brick that led to more problems. And Pink would become drug-addled and depressed by the music industry, eventually transforming into a megalomaniac. A development inspired partly by the decline of Sid Barrett.
1: So he's just like cashing in on this guy's demise for ten years. It's kind of extremely fucked up.
0: So at the end of the album, the increasingly fascist audience would watch as Pink tore down the wall, once again becoming a regular caring person. So during the recording of the wall, the band became dissatisfied uh, by, the, by their keyboardist's lack of con- contribution and fired him. So Gilmore said that uh, he was dismissed because he hadn't contributed anything of value whatsoever to the album. He did very, very little. Ac- according to Nick Mason, he would just sit in on sessions without doing anything, just quote, being a producer. Okay. And Waters later said that the band agreed that he would either have to have a long battle or agree to leave quietly. And after the album was finished, he accepted the ultimatum and left.
1: The ultimatum, all right?:
0: So six years later, 84. Right, The wall is huge. huge. Saves Roger Waters from Financial Ruin. So six years later, David Gilmore recorded a solo album called About Face and used it to express his feelings about a variety of topics, from the murder of John Lennon to his relationship with Roger Waters. He later stated that he used the album to distance himself from Pink Floyd. Soon afterwards, Roger Waters began touring with his albums, The Pros and Cons of Hitchhiking. (laughs) so gilmore waters nick mason and their manager steve o'rourke met for dinner in 1984 to discuss the future of the band nick mason and gilmore left the restaurant thinking that pink floyd could continue after waters had finished the pros and cons of hitchhiking noting that they had several hiatuses before however roger waters left believing that mason and gilmore had accepted that pink floyd was done Oh, shit. So Mason said that Waters later saw the meeting as duplicity rather than diplomacy. And he wrote in his memoir, clearly our communication skills were still troublingly, troublingly non-existent. We left the restaurant with diametrically opposed views of what had been decided.
1: That sounds familiar. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Fo- following the release of the pros and cons of hitchhiking, Waters publicly insisted that Pink Floyd would not reunite. And he contacted O'Rourke, his manager, to discuss settling future royalty payments. O'Rourke felt obliged to inform the other two members of Pink Floyd, which, which angered Roger Waters, who wanted to dismiss him as the band's manager. He terminated the management contract and he wrote to EMI in Columbia announcing that he had left the band and asked them to release him from his contractual obligations. And Gilmore believed that Waters left to hasten the demise of Pink Floyd, like Spike the football. And Waters later stated that by not making new albums, Pink Floyd would be in breach of contract, which would suggest that royalty payments would be suspended and that the other band members had forced him from the group by threatening to sue him. So he took them to court.
1: So much drama.
0: So much drama. Um, He went to the high court in an effort to dissolve the band and prevent the use of the name Pink Floyd, declaring the name Pink Floyd a spent force creatively.
1: A spent force creatively?
0: And then Roger Waters' lawyers discovered that the partnership had never been formally confirmed. Oh, shit. So Roger Waters returned to the high court in an attempt to obtain a veto over further use of the band's name, and Gilmore responded with a press release affirming that Pink Floyd would continue to exist. And the sides reached an out-of-court agreement finalized on David Gilmore's houseboat, the Astoria, on Christmas Eve 1987.
1: Shit. Why did Roger Waters care so much?
0: I don't know. That's a well because because he was a megalomaniac, right? After Sid's departure, Roger Waters wanted to be basically the Sid, right? He wanted to be the creative force and did not like it that David Gilmore had, or anybody had any input. There was like a lot of stuff about Roger Waters becoming like this maniac,
2: mm-hmm.
0: Um, but you know.
1: It's not his episode. It's not
0: his episode, baby. <laughs> so Roger Waters said that if I hadn't settled, if we hadn't reached an agreement, the financial repercussions would have wiped me out completely. So don't worry, because for the for the following 40 years, Roger Waters and David, David Gilmore still hate each other. Jesus. Speaking to BBC in 2013, Waters admitted that attempting to dissolve the band was maybe not the right way to go. Quote, I was wrong. Of course I was. He said before adding, who cares? It's who
1: cares? It's (laughs) one of the few
0: times that the legal profession has taught me something.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Detailing further, Roger Waters added, because when I went to see these chaps, I said, listen, we're broke. This isn't Pink Floyd anymore. They went, what do you mean? That's irrelevant. This is a label. It has commercial value. You can't say that it's going to cease to exist. You obviously don't understand English jurisprudence. (laughs) Despite this, they uh, reunited briefly in 2005 for a performance at Live 8. You remember Live 8?
1: Sure do. Pink Floyd did. Uh
0: Uh-huh. And With
1: Roger Waters? With
0: Roger Waters. And they managed to put their differences aside for a cause much more significant than their own. But the Waters-Gilmore days were long gone, and the chances of another Pink Floyd show is now seemingly impossible. So to catch you up, Roger Waters tours as, like, Roger Waters. David Gilmore tours as as Pink Floyd, who, even though he was very er early, like, he's been a Pink Floyd member for 55 years at this point, was not technically a founding member right however despite leaving pink floyd 36 years ago roger waters still manages to find things that irritate him about david gilmore
1: oh my goodness like what
0: in a five minute video shared on his official twitter page in 2020 waters lamented the decision not to allow him access to the pink floyd social media channels yet david gilmore's wife polly samson can use the platforms to promote her novels quote one and a half million of you have viewed our new version of mother which is lovely and it really warms my heart waters said but it does bring up the question why is this video not available on a website that calls himself the pink floyd website well the answer is because nothing for me is on the website i am banned by david gilmore from the website (laughs) waters added david thinks he owns it i think he thinks that because i left the band in 1985 Maybe
1: Maybe that is why
0: I think he thinks that because I left the band in 1985 That he owns Pink Floyd That he is Pink Floyd And that I'm irrelevant I should just keep my mouth shut Waters then took aim at Gilmore's wife Sniping that some of her friends recently asked him Why do we have to sit and watch Polly Samson Year after year, month after month, day after day And the Vaughn Trapps reading us Excerpts from their novels To get us to go to sleep at night So maybe there is something to the Sound of Music thing <laughs>
1: I got to check out this Instagram.
0: Uh, I think it was Twitter. Hmm. I couldn't find it. I think it's been taken down. We're not even allowed to mention my projects on the Pink Floyd website. This is wrong. We should rise up or change the name. Who's we? I don't know. Or change the name of the band to Spinal Tap, and then everything will be hunky-dory. Okay. (laughs) So the feud between Gilmore and Waters was put into context during an interview with Rolling Stone in 2018. Pink Floyd drummer Nick Mason speculated it's a really odd thing in my opinion but I think the problem is Roger doesn't really respect David. He feels that writing is everything and guitar playing and singing are something that I won't say anyone can do but that everything should be judged on the writing rather than the playing. I think it rankles with Roger that he made a sort of error in a way that he left the band assuming that without him it would fold. Mm -hmm. And then he added It's a constant irritation, really, that he's still going back to it. I'm hesitant to get too stuck into this one because it's between the two of them rather than me. I actually get along with both of them. (laughs) And I think that it's really disappointing that these elderly gentlemen are still at loggerheads.
1: Oh, yeah. Grow up.
0: Gilmore has resisted to retaliate to Waters' latest snarl. However, he didn't hold back when he offered an opinion of his former bandmate to Rolling Stone in 2014. Why on earth anyone thinks what we do now would have anything to do with Roger is a mystery to me. Roger was tired of being in a pop group. He is very used to being the sole power behind his career. The thought of him coming into something that has any form of democracy to it, he just wouldn't be good at it. Besides, I was in my 30s when Roger left the group and I'm 68 now. It's over (laughs) half a lifetime away. We don't really have that much in common anymore.
1: Yeah. That's valid R-
0: waters has attempted a peace summit between the bandmates during the last few years at an airport hotel but alas it ended in disaster and confirmed that there would be no truce between the two men they are no longer the same people they once were and their careers have taken different routes however it's not hard to hold out hope that they can still repair their friendship gilmore and waters have spent close to 40 years locked in a vicious feud and it remains unlikely that they will resolve it anytime soon this bitter dispute is a source of sadness for millions of pink floyd fans on the planet hmm. even if a reunion is fir- firmly out of the window putting the bad blood behind them would at least offer a sentiment of peace for their supporters back to sid sid basically became a recluse and lived in, with or in close proximity to his sister and brother-in-law um, she married and took his last name, which is Breen, took the, her, her husband's last name, which is Breen. Sid was a painter. He was an amateur handyman. In 2001, there was a BBC documentary called Omnibus that revisited Sid and his legacy. This is from Rolling Stone. Barrett didn't like to revisit his pop star past and often became extremely upset by reminders of the period, but one notable exception took place in November of 2001 when BBC aired an omnibus television special about Sid's life. Intrigued, he decided to tune in. I was very surprised that he did watch. This is his sister speaking. She quietly assisted the documentary producer without her brother's knowledge, He came to watch it with me. He didn't enjoy it. He didn't like it at all. He didn't quite know what was going on. I don't think. He just said, it's very noisy. The music is very noisy. (laughs) While he apparently enjoyed hearing the early Pink Floyd hit, See Emily Play. It was not a pleasant experience for Barrett. He did not enjoy it. No. Another person, another life sid barrett died in 2006 of pancreatic cancer so in may of 2007 the remaining living members of pink floyd waters gilmore mason and wright who they kicked out while they were recording the wall performed at a sid barrett tribute concert in london
1: they did
0: yes so this would not be the last time that they reunited in 2008 they re-reunited for 150 million dollars one night only um, oh, wow. Yeah. So, and, uh, and Wright later died. But this was the last time that f- four of them uh, took the stage together and they played Arnold Lane, the song that Sid wrote about his mother's border stealing underwear. So that's what we're <laughs> going to go out on today.
1: Yay. We're going to
3: do Arnold Lane for
0: you. So, where can people find us on the line?
1: Find us on the internet at lyrics for lunch on Instagram and Twitter and lyrics for
0: for longer, weirder stuff. Hit us up at lyrics for lunch at gmail.com. Send us your favorite Pink Floyd song, whether it's 26 minutes or less than that.
1: If you want to support the show, go to our website and click support the show
0: and hit us at like, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find us, leave a rating and review and tune in next week when we do this all over again with you want to share what episode, what what song we're doing? Nope. Okay. Well, then I'll go fuck myself. Uh, it's a song that I don't particularly like. You don't? No.
1: Well, that's lame.
0: <laughs> well, maybe
1: I can convert you.
0: Maybe you can convert me. Until then, I'm Aviv Rubenstein.
1: I'm Lindsay Tucker.
0: Saying, "Shine, Shine
2: on." on. <laughs> <laughs>